Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Hi there. Good morning. This is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Um, my guest this morning was supposed to be Christy Trouts, who's the executive director of Montpelier Alive. She hasn't called in yet, so if anybody knows anything, tell her to give us a call at 244-1777. But I can talk about this. I am prepared, so you'll have to listen to me for a while. But Montpelier Live, I'm sure many of you know Representative Connor Casey. I knew him when he was working at the VSEA, and um, um, we worked together when I was in personnel. And he said that the one advantage... Uh, Montpelier had with regard to the cleanup effort was that the work of this organization, Montpelier Alive, which transitioned from an economic development nonprofit to a disaster response organization like overnight. And I was very impressed with that. Um, and I, I just give a lot of kudos and credits to the Montpelier Alive folks and to Christy Trouts. Um, and, and if you want to go to uh, their website, they have got a uh, a huge section all on um, on the flood, on the flood relief, and all information that's on their website. There is a picture, an aerial view which I had not seen before of Montpelier. I was uh, commissioner of personnel in 1992 when we had the big flood, and I do not remember it being this extensive. I'm sure it wasn't because I remember sort of kidding with um, the vice president's wife behind the scenes that she wanted to fly up, fly and take a um, helicopter tour of the of the area that was impacted. And we were all sort of laughing to ourselves, not to her, but laughing that by the time you got the helicopter up, it'd be time to take it down because um, um, I think she had a little different vision of a state capitol. But anyway, when I saw the picture, I was I just was shocked. It's it's just everywhere. It's really awful. I didn't realize until I saw that picture what we're dealing with. So on July 17th, Vermont Digger published a story that announced there were two organizations that got together. Um, one was Montpelier Live, and the other was the Montpelier Foundation. And they got together, and they called it the Montpelier Strong Recovery Fund. And as of when I wrote this, uh, wrote this down. They had raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Oh, Katie, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> I started gabbing already, so um, uh, good thing I do my questions in advance because um, if I have to cover you, um, I'm good to go. So we were just talking. Uh, well, welcome to the show, by the way. Um, if, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I was just talking about the. Um, Montpelier Strong Recovery Fund, and that as of the time I, I wrote this note, you had to raise two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I I have a think you raised more of late, right? Yes, we now to date have raised one point two five million dollars. Oh, that's a lot more than two fifty. That is, God bless Montpelier and all who contributed. That's really great. It's Can incredible, you, yes. Oh no, that's that's staggering. I'm I'm really uh, I'm really blown away by that. That's really great because we're just talking um, <laughs> not even a month here, right? We're just talking. Are we talking a month? I think maybe two and a half oh. weeks. 
Yeah, that's incredible. Since we started the campaign, yeah. That's great. Could you tell me about the Montpelier Foundation? That is something I do not know about, and I um, was wondering if you could tell us about that, because that's who you are in partnership with this uh, uh, fundraising effort. Yes, that's correct, and we could not raise so much uh, without their help. We have raised equal parts on our, on our two sides. So the Montpelier Foundation is a local foundation um, with a volunteer board, um, and they've been raising funds over the years to support downtown beautification efforts um, and supporting uh, supporting our downtown. And um, they just saw this as an opportunity that if they partnered with Montpelier Alive to raise funds for the recovery, they knew that we would make a much bigger impact together. And it's true, um, you know, we each have our own um, kind of audience that we're reaching out to and our own skills that we can offer, um, and it's been very beneficial. That's great. I really, I had not heard of, of the foundation, but um, I thank them as well. I'm going to back up a minute because I started with a quote from uh, Connor Casey, and um, he just complimented you in switching from an economic development uh, nonprofit to a disaster response organization just about overnight. Did you have experience in disaster response? I mean, that's not something that you just do lightly. you got to know what you're doing. Um, no, I, I've had no experience with disaster response. Wow. But I always say that at the heart of Montpelier Live, we are a downtown revitalization organization. And really right now we're at the true meaning of the word revitalization, starting from scratch and supporting and building, um, rebuilding businesses, helping them to rebuild um, and connecting them with resources. That's something that we have always done and has been a strength. Um, We're just needing to really step up our game and be very present during this time to help with those revitalization efforts. That's great. While you're doing this, I had uh, Sue Mittner on my show from uh, Capstone, and she was talking about some ideas that they were giving their clients like, putting the heater and putting all of the equipment that you might have in your basement to try to find a room room upstairs for it in the first floor um, so that um, if this, heaven forbid, start, uh, happens again, that um, those pieces of equipment um, would be would be saved. Have, have uh, businesses thought about if they're going to re- redesign, restructure, maybe there's a, a little bit better way to do it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in reality, this is going to happen again. This is the trend, and we have to be prepared. And so I think the city of Montpelier is uh, at a point where um, the community is taking that question of preparedness much more seriously. And I know that the city of Montpelier is, um, is enforcing the requirements to get utilities out of basements, to use basements differently um, so that we are less impacted the next time this will happen. And um, I know that that's a primary focus at this time while businesses are and property owners are rebuilding their spaces. And, yes, moving the utilities is one of the first things that they can do to be more prepared for the next time. Great. Easier said than done, I'm sure. But, um, but Absolutely, yeah. 
you don't want to go through this uh, again in, in, in the way we're going through it anyway. Um, mm-hmm. That's really great. And I also heard, I don't know where I read somewhere, that, that they're having a meeting to talk about ideas about what to do. Um, I remember, I don't know which flood it was, but remember when the ice jam um, got stuck under the bridge? Yeah. That Montpelier, I think, was that 1992? I can't remember. But anyway, we I believe so. To, they said it was the silt. I'm going to have all the A and R people calling me. They said it was the silt that uh, was in the water was in the, the water and um, raised the level of the water as it is. And so I said, why don't we dig out the silt? Oh, um, <laughs> we didn't we didn't like that. But it seems to me that that that's something to think about, given the the damage that it has done to the town, to the city, to the people, to to everything. Um, but. Just a thought. Yeah. I know I got many phone calls on that one. Um, <laughs> well, I know that the yeah, when the city um, has these resiliency conversations, it's a great time for the public to put forth their ideas. I think there are a lot of ideas out there, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be considered or talked about. Yeah, that, no, that's good, because that just seems to me to be one of those um, obvious things to do. If it's getting too high, lower the lower the the bed. But um, and I understand from a from a environmental perspective. But when you're weighing it against what's happened, maybe a little lower would be better. Um, so you have I was just telling people that you have created a fabulous website, um, and you provide uh, flood information, business assistance, business op- openings, and volunteering. And um, I just thought if we went through each one of these sections, there's little tidbits in there that I think people should know to encourage them to go to the website and um, to take advantage of of any assistance that's out there. Under mm-hmm. flood information, you've got um, you've got um, what you're referring to the volunteer hub, and that's across the street from City Hall. Is it not? What's there for volunteers? Well, we started that hub the day after the flood, and we set up a number of pop-up tents and tables um, and started gathering cleaning supplies, supplies for people in need, and signing volunteers up through our website on a form, but also at the table itself. And so if volunteers want to help, they check in there, and then they are assigned a project based on the need. And even though that need has decreased from the first week or so, we definitely still have a need for volunteers, um, maybe with more specific skill sets as these places rebuild. Um, And then usually people can drop off donations there. I don't believe they're taking clothing or furniture or things like that anymore. And the food pantry is now open just down the street on Berry Street. For a little while, we were acting as a food pantry as well. We had to fulfill every piece of that picture because so much of our town flooded. People could not access those resources. The food pantry flooded. The churches flooded. So the hub became the place where you could get anything you needed and connected to any resource you needed at that time. That's great. I was just thinking when you said different skills, I was thinking IT people are going to be in big demand if they're yeah. um, just to set up your computer system and get that back up and running. That's um, a good point, yes. So you should, uh, maybe the, the state could uh, volunteer a few folks to to come down and, and help because um, 
I couldn't do it, but that's just me. Um, anyway, so under the flood information, you've got a list of resources where people can go, and you also have very important uh, funding opportunities. I had um, a representative from FEMA and from the SBA, uh, nationally, national people, who are here um, to help, and they were. It was a good show because they really gave a lot of information, and you've got a lot of a lot of um, stuff on your website about funding. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is which is probably the key right about now. Yeah, we're really in this phase of if the businesses and and the residents are going to get back in their spaces and open for business um, and get comfortable in their lives again, they have to get from here to that point in time. Right now, there's so many people who are displaced and so many businesses that are closed and don't have a way to make revenue and make ends meet before they can get back in their space. So, um, yes, we're trying to push out all the funding opportunities that we know of and even help people apply. Um, We have grants assistance um, and many people who are willing to help with that. That's that's great. And uh, you also have, which I, I love, every time I talk to somebody who's volunteering, I said, also, don't forget to take care of yourself. And you've got a space for respite and resources for volunteers. I'm assuming to to stop and and, um, and take care of themselves mm-hmm. because um, if they don't, uh, they won't be able to volunteer much yes. because they'll yeah. be wiped out. For sure, yeah. And a lot of businesses who are able to offer space have opened their doors for that kind of purpose, um, allowing people to rest and. Um, some were offering chair massage or, you know, food in their spaces just to um, get out of the kind of toxic air and bad smelling downtown and um, take a moment for themselves. That's great. Well, thanks, mm-hmm. thanks to them, too. Everybody's in this together, aren't they? Absolutely, yes. I've always said this about Vermont. Sometimes I politically um, get a little frustrated, but when something like this happens, we're just all Vermonters, and that's we just help, and that's the end of that story, which is great. Good, good place it's to live. It's true. Yeah. Um, now, under business assistance, you've got a very important word here: legal assistance. What's available under that um, under that website space? Yes. Well, both Vermont Law School and uh, the Bar Association, Vermont Bar Association, are offering free consults, um, and they uh, offer up to a certain amount of time of legal consult for free. And we've even set up uh, various workshops with legal educators um, here where our offices are now located in Montpelier um, so that people who are struggling to understand insurance policies or who are struggling with um, their property owners, their their landlords, or any aspect uh, that is slowing their recovery process down, um, they're able to come and find a little help navigating some of the um, those challenges with with legal assistants um, who specifically have some knowledge in in those areas. And that's ended up being very bene- beneficial to them. We were surprised to see that need pop up, but it's definitely you know, utilized. You were mentioning. I mean, people don't think about documents when you're being flooded out or there's a fire or an earthquake or whatever, and afterwards you realize perhaps 
you should have thought about or thought about that because it would make life a whole lot easier. And um, definitely, they they will help you track them down. Help you. What will they do for you? Well, one problem is that when you're flooded out, you lose a lot of papers uh, for some. And so uh, many of the businesses who are looking for their tax returns or looking for, like, documents uh, or receipts tracking their inventory, it's all gone. So we found that to be a a hurdle. Um, And a lot of business owners have to just use their memory or – um, look at all of their damaged goods and document them right then and there on the spot. Um, so maybe this is a lesson going forward that, you know, keeping all the paperwork that you have well out of reach of water um, is probably a good idea going forward. Um, but, yeah, the documentation piece uh, is is important when it comes down to insurance, um, insurance claims, and uh, grant paperwork. That's great. I'm actually going to take this on as a personal um, challenge here to get people to think about going back to what we used to call way back when, go bags. And you left it by your bed, and it had mm-hmm. change of clothes and toiletries, but it also had either originals or copies of all of the documents. I wouldn't even, I'm not sure I'd remember who my, all my insurances, my insurance people are. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you get the bag, you pick it up and you you run out. And um it's a good thing to have, and especially, you know how we get when there's an emergency, everybody's, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and a couple of months later when everything's quiet, you forget about it. And um, mm-hmm. I'm gonna, I think I'm going to take this on as uh, something to remind people to do because it would save a whole lot of, uh, of uh, problems um, going forward. So the next thing you have is uh, funding uh, sources for businesses, and You've already mentioned the the Montpelier Strong Recovery Fund, the the Main Street Recovery Fund. That's a different one we haven't talked about. And why don't you just talk about what's in that that whole section there? Um, Yeah, so various things pop up. Um, There are not a whole lot of opportunities for businesses themselves. Um, FEMA does not assist businesses directly. They are supposed to take out a loan through the Small Business Administration, and a lot of businesses choose not to take out that loan. So other funding that might be available to business owners would include Vermont um, Arts Council has a couple of grant rounds for uh, creative entities, um, entities in the arts world. And then there's a nonprofit support grant um, special and urgent needs through the Vermont Community Foundation. The Vermont Community Foundation is also doing a statewide um, granting program, and uh, they've been actively raising money from day one, and they'll be distributing to all the affected um, flooded towns across Vermont, so Montpelier being one of them. And, um, And, yeah, I think that there are a couple of other small grant programs. The Chamber of Commerce just released one. Um, But they're they're pennies in the jar for these businesses. You know, they're really um, living check to check at this moment in time. And uh, we can only hope that it makes ends meet enough for them to open up someday soon. Yeah, this and I... um... Uh, whatever what I've been thinking about, you've got a list of recommended contractors. Um, contractors under normal times 
um, take a while to get to you because there's not enough out there. I'm I'm wondering how we're going to get get people the the skill set that they need to help them rebuild because do we have the numbers out there to support such a disaster? You know, how many yeah, I mean, are out there I mean, ready to work? The contractors. Um, yeah. Th- yeah, there are. I mean, we've called upon, not us, but the property owners have called upon very large contracting services that are um, New England or nationally based. Uh, so people are coming in from all over the place. And there doesn't seem to be a lack of contractors, but because there are so many projects, it's going to take a while for them all to be addressed and to be addressed appropriately, which requires tearing up flooring, tearing down the sheetrock um, at least two feet above where the floodwaters were. So many people are just taking all their walls down. Um, and, you know, there there can be mold growth. So remediation, which is a separate company that has to come in and do that work. So um, I, I feel like we will get it done, but it's just a very long process. Um, and we're using all the resources and contractors, you know, that can be found. Um, it's a very busy place right now with that kind of work going on. I bet. Well, thank them all for coming in. Um, I know in the flood of 1992, I was commissioner of personnel, and we had mold in the basement. And there were five only women in the building. I was one of them that wound up in the hospital. And um, I finally figured out we had a problem here, and we called the health department, and they came in and ripped down the walls, and there it was. And that's not something you want to mess around with because it can do some permanent damage. So. Um, if you're out there, just be conscious. If you've got some mold growing, get it taken care of right away. They have, um, they were handing out, um, I don't know what, what they were called, but anti-mold um, cleaners uh, for people. Um, I know the um, Red Cross came to a house I, I was working on, and they handed us a, a box of um, cleaning utensils. So there's a lot of help and a lot of people out there. I mean, you've got something here which I did a show on. It's funding opportunities for the arts community and nonprofits. Um, the, the nonprofits are really hurting. I know um, somebody, um, Prevent Child Abuse Vermont, got wiped out right on State Street. And uh, they're going to be um, seriously hurting for money to keep going with their um, uh, with what they do for child children. And the arts community, I don't think, um, a lot of times people don't think about the arts, the people in the arts and what they've lost. Um, their whole life's work and who they are in, in their art could be gone. Um, so that's an important thing to remember. And um, the Preservation Trust of Vermont, there's information on your um, website for them. Um, and this list I wanted to talk about, you are keeping a list of businesses that are reopened. Some a little, like uh, Kellogg Hubbard Library, have only curbside service. Uh, not totally open yet, and each each uh, listing has um, Bear Pond Books as online ordering, uh, deliveries only. So if you go to the website, check these folks out and go and go um, do some business with them because they're going to need all the help they can get as well. And uh, the stores you mentioned, Katie, the stores that are closed may have um, gift certificates that you can buy for when they're back and, and operational to, to help them out. Yeah, yeah, there are many ways to support the stores. Um, gift certificates, 
uh, online shopping, but also many of them have their own GoFundMe campaign. So if you have a favorite store in Montpelier, you can look up to see if you can give to them directly. And I think that 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 will potentially be the difference between success and not um, is this collective effort in fundraising, um, everybody doing their part to try to raise funds. Um, and also on Saturdays, many of the merchants um, from our downtown have been invited to uh, sell their, their products and their salvaged goods up at the VCFA lawn, Vermont uh, College of Fine Arts lawn on College Street in Montpelier. And um, it's not a part of the farmer's market, but the farmer's market also happens up there. And I went last week, and it was such a joyful experience, really a ray of light during this challenging time. And so separate from the downtown, um, it felt like a bit of normalcy. Uh, and you can support the merchants there. That's it. That's great. I'm I'm still in Maine, and I'm we're coming home this weekend, and um, I think I'll check that out. That's great. I love farmers markets yeah. anyway. Um, it's every Saturday, getting... every Saturday, nine a.m. to one p.m. And that's up at the college, which is perfect. From a, yes, a, yeah, we're very glad to have that. Yeah, great idea. Um, so you have, I'm assuming, um, been talking to the business owners in town. And um, knocking on doors, and what are what are they telling you? I know money's probably the. What are they telling you? They need the most. Um, it, it may not be yep. something we think about. They really need the funding, like I yep. said, to get from here to when they can open. And some of them, like restaurants, are not actually able to operate as pop-ups or they don't have a kitchen to work in. It's much harder to adapt during this time. So um, I think that that can be really problematic uh, before they open. So um, those fundraising campaigns are important. And then, like I mentioned, we're offering these resources in legal assistance and grant writing. Um, and that that can be coming from the community as well. There are many resources we post for them, but uh, people are welcome to reach out to favorite business and just offer their skill set to help them help get them through this time. Yeah, I didn't think about grant writing. That is actually a skill, and people, um, for those listening, I mean, people are hired for their grant writing skills. There's, you just don't write and ask for money. It's sort of like mm -hmm. um, calling people to donate uh, funding for yeah. whatever your campaign or whatever. Um, there's a way to do it. Um, now you already said that furniture and stuff you you don't need any more of, of that. Is there going to be a time when maybe um, when things settle down a little bit that those items will will come back um, as far as wanting, people wanting furniture and stuff? I was thinking well, for um, no, go ahead. There's definitely a need for it still, but we have moved that um, filling that need over to. The resources we have that deal with that kind of thing, like um, Another Way, uh, which Ken Russell is the director of, there's Capstone, and there's the Sunrise um, Shelter. There are a few locations where people can still find those things. The food pantry opened up uh, at the Center for Arts and Learning here on Berry Street in Montpelier. So we're, we think that there's still a need there, and um, donations are welcomed, but only through those uh, mentioned locations um, or Salvation Army, maybe. Although they flooded in Barry, so I'm not sure. But yeah, I bet um, they did. They're right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, Barry has. Of course, I saw I saw an article that uh, folks in Barry, and I but I understand it that Montpelier may be getting more services or more people than perhaps Barry. Um, I think it's because it's our state capital, and uh, uh, I just I, I felt in reading the article, I, I felt kind of bad for Barry City because I actually love Barry City. Um, that mm-hmm. that they don't have the same amount of people uh, to help, and I don't know what the answer is. Um, um, just people need to recognize that they got hit by mud. Oh my God, that was. Mm-hmm. Have you been in one of those muddy basements? It's just incredible. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure it's very similar to what we're seeing in basements here. And, yes, I am aware that uh, they need more volunteers over there. So during yeah. this time in Montpelier where the volunteer needs are, are slightly less than they were before, we have been referring people to Barry oh, when they inquire. Um, and a few of the other outlying areas around Montpelier that just haven't been addressed yet and are only now coming up on the radar of places in need. Yeah, that's because I, I haven't seen an aerial view of um, Barry, but um, I don't know if you were on the phone when I was talking about the picture you have on your website. I don't think I've ever seen it like that, ever. That's the first time it really hit home how big this thing is in, in Montpelier. It's just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's. I've never. I mean, the 1992 was in, was pretty much centered on state and Maine, um, but the picture that you have on the website is just ridiculous. It just goes mm-hmm. everywhere. So it's a it's a big recovery. Um, so we need to help them, folks. And um, I like the idea of of selling some of the things that have been damaged with a little TLC. It could be brought to life, and um, and there you go. Um, and I'm thinking, I was thinking, wait, people in businesses, they have waiting rooms, they might need furniture, um, law offices, all kinds of things that um, that could use furniture um, at some point in time to spruce things up a little bit. Um, That's it's gonna true, be a long, yeah. yeah. It's not just per, per individual homes, I think it's it's businesses too. So um, You're, you're going to be doing this a long time, Katie, aren't you? <laughs> I have a feeling, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is you're in for the long haul. I know FEMA and SBA said they're not going anywhere because I asked them, when is done? When when do you get to the point where you say we've done all we can do? Their their uh, individuals and businesses are stable for the moment, and uh, I think that's a long way away. Yeah, I know that some businesses project to open between three and six months from now. So we will see it through. We will continue our work. Um, and, and then there's marketing and tourism, trying to get Montpelier back on the map. It was voted one of the best places in the nation to visit, work, and play. And we really want to get back to where we were. It had taken so long to build back from COVID. And um, over the years, you know, Montpelier was doing really well before this flood. So we will see this through and um, hopefully help in many different areas going forward. That's good for you. I think a lot of people that are listening may not know much about Montpelier Live pre, pre-flooding. Could you, of course, then you also had COVID before that too, didn't you? Um, mm-hmm. that, that must have uh, impacted a little bit on what you do. Could you talk about um, Montpelier Live, uh, Live and what it does? And um, I think people can check the 
website to get a sense of, of all the things you do for the area, but why don't you go ahead and talk about that? Yeah. Um, well, we are a nonprofit that was founded in 1999, and, um, and we are here to support the downtown in many different ways. So supporting businesses um, and supporting beautification efforts, we always put flowers out, in the summer and holiday decor, as well as murals, um, art murals. We work with the Public Art Commission um, on major public art projects. Um, and then we also help with marketing and tourism, trying to uh, put the word out there that Montpelier um, is a beautiful place and has so much to offer, including the outdoor rec scene. That's really been the focus over the past couple of years. And we work closely with the city on these projects, supporting um, in the ways that we can from the nonprofit side of things. And um, there are these organizations across the country uh, in in many different um, towns and destinations, uh, and these organizations um, are kind of networked as main, they're called Main Street organizations. So we've been doing this work before now. And like I said, when uh, the flood hit, it really got to the core of this revitalization work, um, supporting businesses and, um, and beautification efforts. We're just um, kind of down to a clean slate here and starting from scratch. Ooh, sounds pretty heavy. Um, and how many people do you have uh, supporting you in, in all of this? Because they must be a little busy these days themselves. We have on our staff, I'm full-time, and I have one part-time staff. For, um, for the purpose of managing our Montpelier Strong Fund and, um, and staying organized in the office, I was able to hire uh, another five-hour-a-week position um, employee to help us through this time period. Um, but otherwise, we're a very small organization um, with not a huge capacity. So right now, we are just doing the best we can and working the hardest we can, um, given our limited resources. I'm surprised you you have such limited staff. You are doing an amazing job, Katie, for sure. And I'm sure that uh, everyone in town um, feels the same that Connor Casey does. Um, it's, it's a good job. And um, I must say, I can't even believe that you put on all the things you do. Um, you uh, forget the beyond the flood. You you keep busy. There's something going on all the time in Montpelier. Uh, yeah. Music perspective. Something. There's always something. Good. How do you do it? <laughs> well, we do we do a lot of events, and that's part of um, kind of the tourism aspect and and keeping people flowing to Montpelier to go to the businesses and keep the um, economy here uh, in uh, keep the economy healthy here downtown. So yes, we do a lot of events, um, but we have a lot of community support for those. We often will partner on events to just elevate them. And Montpelier has always been known as um, a place that enjoys a good festival all the time, year-round. Um, right. So there are a lot of small community entities that are also doing events, and we're just supporting them along the way. Are you thinking, um, I know a, a recent um, uh, event was canceled, a musical event. Are you thinking of um, possibly ways to recognize volunteers, to thank them, to bring them all together, to 
sing a song or, or do something and maybe for just a moment forget about uh, um, what they've been dealing with for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, we do have some uh, big fundraisers uh, that are centered around music coming up. I believe there's one August 26th that a team of people are working on, and that might be in Hubbard Park. Um, with some of our canceled performers um, are involved with that. We had to cancel our Brown Bag concert series because the space that we were holding it in was flooded and, and definitely won't be ready to host concerts. Um, so in creative ways, we're getting um, some of these events fulfilled and making them a fundraiser for downtown efforts. Um, but I, I agree. I think that could also be a good opportunity to um, thank our volunteers and, yeah. Um, yeah, and all the people who have been involved, the donors as well. Yeah, because hundreds, uh, literally hundreds of people have come out. and um, Thousands. And it's, thousands. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's even, wow. Thousands of people have come out. Um, and you have to, and it's a, a safety issue as well, and I, I talked about this on the show, and you've got to have gloves and masks and boots and be a little careful with um, with what you're handling because who knows? Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, the, the water PPE. and the mud. Yeah, we had we actually had um, CVMC, the hospital, on site, um, encouraging people to take uh, proper safety procedures when entering buildings because that risk is very real. The river water is toxic. It has sewage. It, the mud carries right. sewage and and um, other toxins in it, and so people really do have to take those safety measures yeah. when they're going in those spaces. That's that's a really good point because I know in, in one or two other floods I was involved in, I mean you could see the, the it wasn't you don't see what's in the mud but you can sure see what's in the water and maybe the stuff you can't see is just as is tox, toxic if not more but the sewage got yeah. in one of my buildings um, got flooded out and we're walking in there and and then you have to worry about electricity and worry about um, mm-hmm. um, all that you got to keep safe folks. So thank mm-hmm. you for volunteering, but use a little um, little common sense and take care of yourself and, and um, take time for yourself, too, I think. Katie, um, I, just, I was going to switch um, a topic on you as a little surprise here at the end, but do you want to say anything else about, um, about the cleanup and revitalization uh, before we maybe change hats here? Well, just that we are not done, and I do want to encourage people to um, continue to check back about volunteering. Um, I think it is going to be a long haul, and the need will ebb and flow, uh, but we definitely still need people, and we definitely still need funding. So to check out the Montpelier Strong um, Fund and website. Yeah, and I think you're going to be playing an important role to keep people, to reminding people that, we are not done, and I love that, though. That should be some kind of a, a bumper sticker. Um, <laughs> what is it? We are not done, people. Um, because you yeah. know how it is yeah. when things start to be more normal. People tend to forget and fall back into into old ways, which are good ways in Montpelier. Um, but you could probably play a very um, important role in, in reminding uh, folks that we're not done. I like that, Katie. I think you should do something with that. <laughs> anyway, I wanted, we have a couple minutes left, and I wanted... You have on your website um, talking about the Abenaki land. 
is that something you're comfortable? I mean, you you free to talk about you? I didn't really ask you that we were going to talk about this, but I'm friends with Don Stevens, who's um, there's four Abenaki tribes, and he is the chief of the Nohegan tribe, and I have him on my show and on my TV show quite a bit because I find him very interesting. Could you mm. talk about the recognition of the Abenaki land and why you think that is so important? Because I love this write-up. Well, yes. Um, we know that here on the riverbanks um, that this is old land that has been occupied before uh, the city as it is now. And um, we just feel like it's really important to acknowledge that and um, and to ha- hold some respect for that. And this event kind of reminds us that um, there's a bigger history here Um there are reasons why people have settled on the river forever. There's so many natural resources here. Um, And, you know, just bringing the river to the forefront and the way that the land moves around the river and the way that we built around the river makes us think of that profound history and maybe what came before. And so I think having a statement on our website acknowledging that is one step towards uh, respecting that and those who came before us here. That's great. And, and other other um, entities have followed suit, have they not? In other states and things, that this seems to this is um, something that's catching on, and people recognizing the importance of uh, recognizing um, all the people. Oh, I believe so. Yes, and um, if if it hasn't gone recognized, that I hope it continues to be a trend that that it will be. That's really great. That's re- that's really cool. I'm trying to remember. I just just went and got stamps, and there is uh, Chief Standing Bear is on our stamps now, and I I bought a I bought a book of them, and it's an awesome picture. It's really great. Mm. Anyway, um, well, and how do people get in touch with you, Katie? Um, I have an email and a phone number on the Montpelier Alive website, MontpelierAlive.com. Um, and it's the primary contact there, so please feel free to reach out. That's really great. Um, I really appreciate it. Please check the website, and um, you will see um, all of the events that uh, Katie has done, that the uh, Montpelier Live has done, um, and, and I'm presuming plans to do once we get our ourselves back um, up and running and um, getting back to that best best city in the nation. That's one with that nation. That's great. Well, I, I love Montpelier anyway, and I love our state house. That's my, I just love to go there. Um, anyway, Katie, thank you very much. Thank you all. Thanks to our caller for uh, correcting me. I loved it. Thank you. Um, stay tuned. We are having um, representatives from Berlin, which is where I live, and they're going to talk about um What's happening in Berlin from the flood? Because there are some pretty bad sections there as well. Um, I know we hear about Montpelier and um, Barry City, but stuck in between is Berlin and um, some areas there, particularly the uh, um, mobile home um, sections have really been hit dramatically. So stay tuned, Katie. Thank you very much. Don't thank you for yourself. Don't forget that. That's important. Anyway, thank you. Um, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. We'll be right back with Tour Nelson and Joellen Calderera from Berlin.
In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Hi there, this is Pat McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. As promised, we have uh, Tour Nelson, who's the acting town manager of Berlin, Vermont, and Joe Ellen Calderara, who is a volunteer uh, for Berlin. And uh, we're going to talk about Berlin and the disaster. Welcome to both of you. I'm so glad you could join us this morning. Thank good morning, Pat. Yeah, good morning. So, Tur, I'm going to start with you because for a retired guy, what are you thinking? Did you? When did you jump in to do this acting um, manager role? Well, thank you, Pat. Um, yeah, uh, you know, as everybody knows, Vince Conti, our town administrator, uh, took a leave of absence. Uh, right, his first day gone was the day of the floods, <laughs> and he uh, let us know on the select board about a week before that he was going to be leaving, and you know, kind of mentioned to me if I'd be interested in stepping up and, and filling in, and I said, well, I'd, I'd like to kind of do that type of work. Um, but I don't see how I can do that being on the select board. I can't manage myself. And the next morning I wake up and there's an email uh, where it had been run through the attorneys and they said, well, you know, you can't be involved in hiring or firing yourself. But as far as the job functions itself, you can be an active member on the select board and serve as the town administrator. So I said, well, you know, I don't want to do this full time and I don't want to do this, uh, you know, permanently because I am retired. Uh, but I, you know, I won't leave the town in a lurch and, and I'll jump in uh, to do what I can. So that's kind of how it all fell apart. And this, this was the first day of the flood? Uh, Vince's first day gone was the day of the flood itself. Oh. I was, uh, you know, I've been involved in the Berlin Emergency Management Team since right. uh, 2006, and so I, uh, you know, spent that day uh, from about 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. Tuesday morning at the fire station with the Emergency Operations Center, and was back at the fire station uh, about 8 o'clock Tuesday morning, and, and actually spent the night at the Shaw's parking lot uh, across the street because I couldn't get home, which was not very comfortable, but that's beside the point. Um, and then come Thursday is when uh, we finally realized that, you know, we, you know, the town needed somebody in here to, um, to have a more direct handle on things. Um, during the, you know, interim from when Dana Hadley left and Vince started, uh, we'd put all this on our assistant town administrator, uh, Tom Badowski. He's also our zoning administrator. And Tom stepped up and did a great job, but we didn't really do right by him because, you know, he had his normal job and we put all these other duties on top of him. So Tom is very active 
and engaged in the zoning process, and maybe we'll get into it a little bit later, the uh, Berlin Commons, our new town center designation. And we didn't want Tom to lose the momentum you going on there. So we wanted to keep him focused on those activities, but yet have somebody, you know, take over the town administrator duties. So here you are. Good. Thank you. I, I hope Here everybody I has said to you, thank <laughs> you for what you're doing, because um, God bless you. That's really great. So, Joellen, you yes. have stepped up to volunteer and help Berlin. How did that yes. come about? Um, I actually got involved with the disaster volunteering back in 2011 when um, we had our May 2011 flooding yeah. that was pre-Irene. Um, um, Barry was flooded heavily um, with, along with River Run um, back in May of 2011, and I had stepped up at that point because my house had flooded, um, and we had created a flood center in Barry. Um, and then I was officially trained um, through the United Methodist, their UMCOR disaster case management training. Um, and then when Irene hit, we were... Um, able to utilize my training so I could train other um, FEMA-paid um, disaster case managers at the time. They had, they, we had a, a pilot program. Um, and then I helped create the Vermont Disaster Relief Fund um, and was on the allocations committee and continued to do case management as a volunteer um, all the way through the ice storm in 2018 in um, St. Albans. So, um, when this storm hit, our my house, again, flooded um, much worse this time in Barrie. I live on the north end, so down where a lot of the damage was in Barrie. Um, but I also was completely aware that we, again, had River Run as well as the Berlin right. Park um, flood. And I have um, spent most of my disaster case management specializing in mobile home recovery, which oh, is no, um, very different. You had experience in Westons, if I recall. Yes, I did. I did. I, I actually oversaw all the in Westons. Exactly. Yeah. So could you tell people about River Run a little bit, because they may not know the name and uh, what it's referring to? Sure. Actually, um, Tour probably can answer that one better. Oh, okay. Tour, you want to talk about River Run and, and uh, where it is, what it is? Uh, yeah, like Joe and so we actually had two uh, mobile home parks severely devastated on, on this event. The uh, first one is River Run Manor, which is off of uh, Route 302. Uh, basically, it's right along the uh, Stevens Branch River, uh, basically behind the World Newspaper. I think everybody knows where, where that is. Um, that was severely hit in the May 2011 flooding and was uh, just absolutely devastated again. Uh, this time around. Uh, the other mobile home park is what's called the Berlin Mobile Home Park. Uh, a lot of people know it as Cedar Drive, and that is behind the Stevens Branch. I mean, that is on the Stevens Branch behind the CVS Pharmacy, um, just off of here again, you know, right. between uh, off 302 and the uh, Stevens Branch, also severely devastated. Yeah, and both of those have been devastated before, as as you mentioned about River Run. And I remember not being able to get um, over to the um, one by the AOT garage. That that was 
both those are just we're just devastated and this is worse um i heard that the river run owner is not going to put it back together again or, or continue right they're all out of they all have to find other places to live is that what's happening well there are um, um sewage issues at that yeah. park uh, a big part of the sewage pipe itself was um, uh, devastated, so that would have to be rebuilt, and then anything that would go in there would have to be raised uh, significantly. Uh, it has to be above the one one foot above the base flood elevation. So we're potentially talking, you know, several feet that anything new in there would have to be raised, and right. you know, potentially, you know, six, eight, ten feet potentially, and it can't be raised using fill. It can't be raised using, you know, dirt and, and stone and everything. It would almost have to be stilts or something like that that the water could flow through. Um, so that's going to be, you know, particularly expensive to try to rebuild in there. Did, a tour did the, did Westons, because they, they did that. The owner did that for all of the the uh, mobile homes in Westons when, I think it was 1992, um, they all got elevated. Did that get hit? Because Route 12 was was devastated. They elevated. Yeah, like it. you said, Route. So let uh, let jo- uh, Joellen, why don't you answer that? Because I think you've been involved in the mobile home issues. Yeah, it was actually 2011 with Irene oh. that Weston's um, was elevated. Um, the family that owned it at the time um, put quite a lot of money into it, and they did elevate all the um, paths and the roads. And I will say I have um, friends who live in the park. The road was um, heavily flooded, Um, a lot of video of people in the road, but the homes um, actually didn't have flooding. That's great, because I hadn't heard a word about Wesson's, and I thought, oh, good, what what he did was, uh, because you're right, he spent a lot of of money and, and just really made sure those folks were safe. Um, yeah. So what's going to happen to the River Run uh, and maybe the other park? Are, are they're going to have to leave um, if he chooses to to rebuild? What's what's happening with them, Joanne? Well, currently, um, you know, we are in the process of trying to look for their next phase of living, helping them, uh, you know, work in, into this. It is a it's it's quite a daunting situation because you you first go through the grief of the loss. Um, and you know, and then you're you're in basically a transient homeless state, um, and you know, maybe living with family or or friends because, uh, as you know, right now housing is a crisis even before this disaster locally. Um, and um, and then a few people have started to come out of that phase of kind of shock and have started working with myself and. A few of the other people, Kelly Hamshaw and um, Rebecca from CVOEO, um, Kelly's from UVM, and have started looking at their next phase of living, which for some may be going back into a mobile home in a different um, park. Some may choose to purchase land and put a mobile home on or a manufactured home or a stick-built home on another piece of land that they own. You know, it can look, it can vary greatly. Um, in the past, we have had a lot more lot availability in mobile homes in the area. Um, unfortunately, right now, we we don't have very many home lots available um, in central Vermont. 
Yeah, actually, I'm sure their mobile homes are they're gone. They're just destroyed. Correct. Correct. So we would be assisting them to get their either their flood insurance maxed out or their FEMA amount maxed out. FEMA does not duplicate. So if they carried flood insurance, we would be helping them try to max out whatever their flood insurance maxes out at. If it's below 41000 we then assist them to get the difference. If, if they don't have flood insurance, then we attempt to go for the 41000 um, for the home replacement top grant out of FEMA. Um, and then there are other programs um, that the Champlain Valley, um, that CBOEO can access that can be used as down payments that are actually um, not really paid on until the person sells their home. So they're a great opportunity, which many people will qualify for. And then once the nonprofit grant lines open, um, we, um, you know, kind of stack some money on top of money and try to get these people um, as much money as we can. Most will have to take out a small mortgage or a partial mortgage. Um, you know, to get to their next level, depending on what it is they decide to do. That's great. Well, I, Pat, know, I want to I jump in real quick. Um, Joan, you know, mentioned the, you know, the grieving process uh, that many of these residents are going through. And that's, you know, very much to be expected and, and you know, can be particularly severe. Um, I, I want to remind everybody of the Washington County Mental Health Services uh, intake line, and that number is 802-229-0591, and I'll repeat that, 802-229-0591, and, you know, I encourage everybody to reach out and talk and, you know, you know, talk through these feelings, because um, it's, you know, it's really starting to hit people that, you know, their their lives are, are never going to be the same. I mean, right. you know, they had a nice uh, arrangement. They had nice neighbors. You know, they, they could walk down their street and, and chat with their neighbors and everything like that. And, you know, some of these people, they, you know, they're going to get dispersed all over the county and the area. And, and some people are even talking about, you know, leaving the state. Um, so that's, you know, that's a, that's a big shock and, and, you know, definitely okay to reach out and talk to people about this. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm Mary Moulton, who's head of Washington County, is one of my all-time heroes in Vermont, and that organization does a great job. We just talked about River Run, and um, what's the name of the other uh, mobile home on Route 12? Uh, not Route 12, Route 302. Uh, Berlin Mobile Home Park, uh, also mobile called home. Cedar Drive. Oh, see, that's it, Cedar Drive. That's what I was trying to think of. But we've got a lot of other damage around town, Tour, Could you... Um, uh, talk about uh, the others, the uh, stores on Route 302, which got devastated, and don't know if there's other places. I'm sure out by where, um, um, uh, what's the name of that town? Out going towards uh, where Phil Scott's company used to be. Anyway, we'll have to talk. Uh, Junction Road. Yes, exactly. Um, so what what else was hit in our town? Yeah, as you mentioned, the... Uh the US-302 business corridor was also severely impacted. Um, many of the, you know, the stores, you know, already from uh, almost from the Montpelier town line, the um, Dollar General and, and Ormsby Computer Buildings 
were, were damaged, uh, along with uh, everybody can see the parking lot damage at the CVS Pharmacy, uh, Thomas's hometown, uh, which used to be the Sears, and your automotive in the back um, was fairly uh, impacted. They are reopened now, uh, which is glad to see, um, but they have invested a lot of money in, in the town of Berlin, and great to have them here, and glad to see that they are uh, back open. Uh, just down the road, the uh, Formula Nissan uh, was severely hit as long as well as the shopping center with the, you know, with the big lots and uh, Snap Fitness and the Chinese restaurant. That was also severely decimated and is still closed uh, to this day. Yeah, that whole place is closed. I heard the Nissan uh, guy lost all of his of his inventory. Is that true? That's what I've heard, correct. I, oh. I see they do have some inventory out there now. Uh, you know, was able to, to get some uh, new cars and trucks in, um, but uh, severely devastating for him. I mean, once a, I know this is going to sound stupid and people are going to call me. Uh, once a truck, once a car is, is flooded like that, that's it for the. For, it's done. There's no. Uh, there's no putting it back together. Is there? That's correct. Uh, you know, mo- yeah. most of these will have to be salvaged. And, uh, yeah. you know, of course, I'm sure you remember from your previous life as a uh, uh, commissioner, um, you know, that gets into a lot of issues when, when those vehicles try to get sold and stuff. So right. uh, do right. really tell everybody to be cautious, uh, you know, buying any type of uh, vehicle on the, on the market, uh, you know, from, you know, that's not going through a reputable dealer. Right. Yeah, because it could be a damaged car, That's and you wouldn't know it from looking at Correct. it. Correct. Excellent. Correct. So, uh, Joel, could you tell us, I've read about volunteer centers. Is that something that you're involved in or, or make use of? What um, what do the volunteer centers, and where is it in our area? We we don't have any um, set up right now, official volunteer centers uh-huh. set up right now. Um, we've had a great use of um, some local volunteer organization, kind of self-organization that's set up. Um, I'm more familiar with the Barry um, setups, but the Barry setups have also helped these two mobile home parks. So um, the Aldridge Library kind of was a call to place for anyone who wanted to volunteer, um, and they would get together and, um, you know, be dispersed out. I was kind of... Um, a uh, person that the, they would call and tell me they had all these volunteers and I would kind of disperse them out through my neighborhood in Barrie and down to the Berlin Mobile Home Parks. And I, and I would like to mention Rainbow Bridge. They have been phenomenal, phenomenal. Um, they, if, if there's a need in the community, if it's um, to get mucked out, I mean, or if it literally if somebody needs medicine or food or anything, I just put a call in, and literally within minutes to an hour, it's delivered. Really? So now, where is, where is this group out of? Um, Barrie. Barrie. Okay. So because I live in Barrie, um, down at the north end um, on Beckley Street, um, we uh, got very familiar with the groups in Barrie that were doing this. And, and we kind of think of these two mobile home parks as our neighbors, even though they're technically in Berlin. They're just down the road from us. Right. So I, you know, that's part of why I immediately reached out to um, the town because, you know, these are our neighbors. So we've been able to utilize volunteers that have been um, that weren't hit in parts of Barrie and just, you know, help utilize them in Berlin as well. 
And one of those in the park just lost her husband. And yeah. they didn't go anywhere without each other. They were the best twosome I've, I've seen. They're just wonderful and, together. And she had a and tree so fall on, on top her of all of them after. Yeah. Unbelievable. And then, of course, yeah. everybody just went through COVID, which is, that's hard to, it's, I, I don't think people realize how much COVID impacted uh, all of us, my, myself included. I, I don't think about it much, but when you think about the isolation and um, I've, I've been finding it hard. And, and these parks, like Tour had mentioned earlier, you know, these parks really create a sense of community. And um, right now, I know we have a internal Facebook group for members that were at both parks and the people that are helping them um, through this recovery process. And, you know, there's a lot of posts on there about the loss of the sense of community. And I think especially during COVID, you know, they still saw each other walking to the mailbox or waving to each other and stuff. These mobile home parks really are an ideal, um, you know, they, they foster community. Yep. And they provide a much needed um, housing source, especially for a place like Vermont. Um, the ones that are in the floodplains or the floodways or, um, you know, need to, we need to kind of figure out a better plan for those. But, you know, mobile home living is, is really a an option that we need to keep on the table. And, you know, these communities that are built in these mobile home parks, especially when they can co-op and be self-owned by um, the members, are really a lovely um, living choice for Vermonters. River Run itself, when it wasn't flooding, is just a beautiful setting, right by the water. Um, it's And you're right, it's sort of like a little sheltered community. Um, cause it's Absolutely. All, you, don't, you don't see it from 302. Um, jo- uh, Joanna, how, and maybe Tour, how did Route 12, I'm just thinking... Route 12 is usually something that goes pretty quickly, and that was the uh, um, the mobile home over there. But usually, Route 12 is pretty bad when it's flooding. Was that hit hard this year? Yes, it was. The you know Route 12 itself was uh, very heavily damaged, uh, especially in the area of Ellie's Market, and then a lot of the uh, you know the, along the Dog River there, the uh, feeder creeks. Um, you know, you know, washed out a lot of culverts and a lot of the uh, town roads leading up to Route 12, and getting into you know some of the businesses and and farms along there. Um, Route 12 is open now, you know, between Montpelier and uh, Northfield. Um, like many of the other roads, it's you know it's still in rough shape. Take it, take right. it uh, easy going through there, along with all the other town roads. Uh, but everything is open and we're trying to get back to normal. So can I ask you, I'm skipping around and I apologize, the Good Samaritan Shelter, I, I heard they lost a van in the flooding. Um, it, were there, didn't look like any of their rooms were impacted. That's correct. The um, center was evacuated uh, with the rising waters, and, of course, 302 itself was cut off, um, but the building itself was not uh, was not affected. Um, and, and I'd like to give a shout out to uh, first student, uh, Washington Central's school bus contractor. Uh, that Monday night uh, was extremely helpful with the evacuations. Uh, they um, 
you know, here again with no notice, uh, and they were trying to save their bus fleet themselves. Uh, they had several buses going around picking up evacuees and uh, people on the 302 corridor who, you know, couldn't get out from their work uh, all the way from Price Chopper up to um, Partridge Farms Roads there uh, with Good Samaritan. And then uh, over 90 people at the elementary school who were trying to get evacuated to the shelter at the Berry Auditorium. Uh, their uh, manager and several drivers uh, having to go well out of their way up through East Montpelier to get people to safety. Really appreciate all their help with us. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And I know they've done a wonderful job at that Good Samaritan shelter. I had uh, the executive director on on the show, and what a what a great. I hope that somebody steps forward with a van and helps them out because that's a great, uh, great organization, and certainly a much better facility than what they had um, in Barry. Um, I, at least it appears to be anyway. Um, so. Um, do we have enough volunteers out there, Tour? Who's kind of coordinating the volunteers? Is that, is that Joellen, or how are we doing that? That Yeah, that that's really uh, Joellen's expertise, and, um, you know, she's very much in tune with the resources available um, in Barrie and Waterbury. Um, you know, so we put them in contact with her uh, for any needs. Great. That's great. And, Joanne, I'm sure we always need more volunteers. How are we doing? Um, well, you know, it's very interesting. The re- We have two phases of this. We have the response, which, um, you know, like with the bus situation that Tour was just mentioning yeah, right. and what the town does and everything like that. And volunteers are needed during that phase. And I have to say, you know, the response for Central Vermont has been amazing. The, the towns, the cities, the volunteers, you know, everybody did an amazing job. And we're just starting to switch over to recovery. Um, you know, Barry's just starting to think about opening up a, a flood center again. And, you know, um, it, it's hard because we see our neighbors already trying to, to navigate the, the systems. Um and the mobile home navigation process, we've really kind of fine-tuned it over the years. And so, you know, I am able to work with um, most of the homeowners and with Kelly Hamshaw, um, who I've worked with since 2011. Um, and she is a senior lecturer at the Department of um, Commerce and Development and Applied Economics at UVM. And Champlain Valley Office of Economics, their mobile home program which is CVOEO, um, yep. and the woman we deal with there is Rebecca. So we're kind of like a team. So Kelly and Rebecca and I, with the intern Miranda, we kind of um, work each family um, through their own recovery because as they come out of the shock of this, um, mobile home recovery is much different than stick-built recovery. Um, my house, you know, was heavily impacted, but it can be repaired and I can, you know, live in it um and and stay here a mobile home that's been condemned um and has all this damage and the park may be closed or not closing no matter what they have to replace everything they have to replace their home they have to replace their possessions it's a whole different situation and it's quite complex and fema now you know recognizes that mobile home recovery is different from stick built recovery 
Um, and so we've got this kind of oiled team that we have and we're working, you know, um, with the, each of the individual families there, we have about 40 of them between the two parks. Um, and it will be a long recovery. It will probably take us a year to two years, depending on how they come through the process and what they decide, you know, their next phase may be. Now we do have one mobile homeowner who already has his decision made. Um, the next uh, place that he wants to live is available. Um, and we may have him moved into his next place within the next month or two. Um, so some people, you know, come out of this, um, and if there's an available lot somewhere and they want to stay with mobile home living, you know, it's a process of, of helping them max out their FEMA grants and get any additional funding that's available and working with CVOEO and Champlain Valley Trust, um, you know, and, you know, Chittenden Housing to access some of the grant lines that they have, their loan lines technically, but the way they're set up, and, you know, moving them into their next phase. So we do have a couple people that are, are getting close to, you know, figuring out their next phase of living. And then we'll have some people who are going to stay, you know, kind of in that shock phase longer and may need more help finding, you know, what they choose to do for their next living phase. Oh, I, I thank God, knock on wood, as they say. I've never been through something like that. I, I'm sitting here trying to imagine, you know, when they say, if you have a fire, what are you going to take with you? I yeah. have to take everything on my walls. Every one of those, everything I've got on my wall means something to me. And that'd be impossible, obviously, but I can't imagine losing any of that stuff. I mean, that's that's who you are, whatever. You know, you've got your stuff, and it's your stuff, and it means something to you. You can't replace it. Correct. I in this flood we lost um, my family heirlooms that were generations of stuff. We lost a tremendous amount of of our um, personal property that is not covered and you can't replace it. And um, you know my my dad died when I was eleven and my mom died just five years ago and I lost my photos of them and of my grandparents and my great grandparents and you you can't replace this stuff. Um, and it is very difficult for, I mean, there is a lot of grief and anger that you have to work through. Um, and that's why, like Tour mentioned, the Washington County um, Helpline, there is a lot of support system out there that is much needed. It's needed for everybody who's gone through this and gone through this loss. And it's also needed for those of us who um, maybe haven't had the loss but are helping the people through the loss because that's a hard burden as well. I know from Facebook how much you loved your mom or love your mom and the post yeah. that you put on about your mom it that just it must be very difficult for you for sure um because of um you can just tell how much and what the relationship was between you and your mom it well, broke you me. also your husband also had a, a traumatic event didn't he in the water you were telling me he did. So we were actually not here when the flood happened. We were um, trying to get home from our camp on Peachum Pond, and we got stuck um, between Marshfield and Plainfield, literally where all the roads were washing out. Um, and I knew our only chance of survival was to get to the Plainfield Marshfield Hotel on the hill. And I have a Jeep Grand Cherokee, which is heavy, and I've driven them through hurricanes in Florida, so I knew you know, pretty much how to drive through the water. Unfortunately, my husband was in a um, small Toyota truck that he's owned for 22 years, and 
we didn't factor in that that's lightweight. And um, I was able to get through the last washout. We'd gone through about seven of them um, to get back to the hotel. And he actually lost control of his vehicle and was floating, free floating in the water rapidly towards the edge of the field where if he hit it, he, he would have most likely flipped over on his roof, which would have been a no-go. And the beavers are all around him. Somehow, something, some way, took control of the steering wheel, and he made it through the washout. Um, And since we had people at the hotel, we turned that into an emergency shelter that night who had been pulled from their vehicles in in shallower water on the Plainfield side. Um, You know, it... It was a it was a miracle that he he got got through that. Well, thank goodness for that, and, th- and thanks to the um, the motel for doing that. That's really great. They were the pl- just Wendy, the manager there. Just she just allowed me to take control. She, she was amazing, and we had about thirty people that ended wow. up either in rooms, doubling up in rooms, in the lobby. Um, in the driveway, um, just to stay safe, because literally every every route out was gone. Wow. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I was thinking about that. There's a lot of low-lying land there, isn't there? Absolutely. If if you weren't on the hill, it wasn't going to be a good situation. Yeah, well, Plainfield itself is down in a in a gully. And what so is Marshfield. <laughs> yeah, well, I, t- I tell you, I was telling um, Katie Trouts from the Montpelier Live, they have a, a visual on their face, on their website that's a um, aerial view. I mean, yeah. I I never realized at all until I saw that picture how encompassing this flooding is. It was really, I don't think any part of town wasn't touched. It, no. It, it wasn't like it was, the last one we had. No, back in 92 when Montpelier flooded, you know, it was I was on the water for that one. Um, and, you know, this one was just... And we didn't get an alert, like, um, the night before we had an alert, but we didn't get the alert for this one. I mean, this one was just the ground had too much water, and this came on too fast. Um, and it was it was definitely, you know, any I don't think we could, any of us could have prepared for this. Yeah, no, I know. I, I remember um, Bob Nelson from the, from the hardware store in, Bur- in the Barry got on the radio and just desperately asking for help because all of his, Everything, his supplies and everything were all down in the basement, and he lost everything. Yep. And, you know, it just it's your life, and there it goes. So um, how are you getting the word out to folks about what's available from a funding perspective, FEMA, the small business? Um, and and um, I just I wanted to switch to, to renters, too, at some point, but how are you getting that word out um, about all the help that's around so we have a great for the for the mobile home people and the Berlin citizens. Um, we have a great Facebook group that they set up themselves, and I think we have almost everybody in the group. The ones that are not um, tech savvy, where um, we we've kind of set them up with a buddy who is tech savvy. So we are communicating with them daily um, or hourly at sometimes. Um, the bigger you know, right now it's all about FEMA. Can you FEMA in your flood insurance, and then making sure you sign up with the Red Cross um, because they have this little grant program that gives you, um, depending on how many people in the household, like three to eight hundred dollars on um, just act money to access for emergencies. 
And so we're really pushing that, making sure everyone signed up before the deadline of September 12th for um, when FEMA closes out our application lines. And exactly the same thing for SBA. Just sign up. If they get rejected by SBA, um, then they get potentially more money out of the the second $41,000 pot of money from FEMA, which helps with living expenses and, and other stuff, miscellaneous stuff. So we're really working on that. Um, renters are a, a little different because technically renters are able to pull out of the second fund that FEMA has, which can assist with a little bit of renters assistance and, and emergency supplies and things like that. Um, but, you know, re- technically an apartment building is a business. Um, right. So, you know, they can, renters can go for SBA, I believe. Um, and obviously the, Home, the owner of the apartment can as well. And as you know, Barry lost a ton of apartments. We lost like 120 apartment buildings or apartment units that night. So that um, right now. First, second, was that down where they had First Street, Second Street, that whole first, area there? Was that, yep. So yeah. my window looks out onto, uh, I'm on Beckley Street, and my I can see First and Second Street out of my house. Yes, first, second, and third got hit bad, and so did the back streets off the other side. Um, if you go up over Pleasant Street, so Air Street, Brook Street, there's some damage in there too. Um, when, but the, when I was a big when I was a, oh, sorry when I was a representative, that was Berlin and part of Barry, and, and that was the part that I represented. And awesome people there, really hardworking. Yeah. It's so it's um it, you know I think that's going to hinder our ability to find temporary housing while we're trying to get um, the mobile home owners into their next um, phase of living because in the past we were able to you know put them in maybe a rental for six or eight months while we you know helped get them through the grief process and figure out because I mean they're making major decisions about what their next phase of living is going to be. Joellen, you just mentioned um, making decisions after this trauma, and I know for a fact that when they, you're asked when you've lost a loved one, or hold on a second, <coughs> great live live radio coughing on the phone. Um, <laughs> when you um, when you have something tragic happen, that you really should wait a full year before you make a decision, and these people have weeks to make a decision. That's really traumatic. Hey. It is traumatic. They, it, it's not really weeks, but what we have to do in, in normal, in the past, when when we haven't been in the housing crisis that we've been in, we've been able to, you know, move them into some apartment complexes or temporary housing, um, which FEMA does help pay for. They they don't pay for it full, but they pay for the difference in, in the cost of their living previously, um, you know, and what it costs now. So we were able to put them into like a, a maybe a six-month lease or something so that they could process the trauma and make a, um, a, a decision about what their next living life, you know, was going to look like, what that was, whether it was going to be a house or, you know, another mobile home or manufactured home in a park on private land. I mean, all these decisions. Unfortunately, right now, there is no um, – there, there's no place to put them. There's no hotels. There's no apartments. We're in a we were in a crisis before the storm. We've lost a ton of um, apartment complexes in Barrie that are partially under construction, and it's just made the housing crisis absolutely critical. 
I mean, vitally, it's just, it's, it's impossible. So, you know, for these people who are literally right now mostly couch surfing is what I we term it. You know, they're living maybe a week here, a week there, or they're living in a spare bedroom of a family member's, but it's only going to be temporary. You know, we've got to then ask them right now while they're still processing their three and a half weeks out from this trauma, they're still processing the trauma of the situation. We have to now ask them, what do you want your next living situation to look like? Right. And that's a lot yeah. to put on somebody. Yeah. Especially if you have kids. I, I've been Absolutely. The kids, the trauma must be just terrible. It would be it is. hard to close and, and you your know, eyes and go to sleep at night. And they're nervous because school is starting up soon, and they want to make sure that they can still go to school with their friends, and they don't even know where they're going to be living. And there's a lot of that going on as well. We've had some rainstorms that have re-triggered people. I got triggered as my, <laughs> my the rain was creeping up to my front steps. Um, uh. You know, there's, there's a lot of... of of trauma with this that, you know, we have to go through, but we also have to ask them to start thinking about their next living phase. We're still working through the Max FEMA um, grants. Most of the homes in both River Run and the Berlin Mobile Home Park were given the condemnation to destroy letters from the state, which will allow them access to a Max grant from FEMA if they don't have um, flood insurance for those with flood insurance. It may give them the max on their flood policy. Um, and then, you know, from there, as they figure out their next phase of living and we figure out what the total cost is going to be, you know, I start working with them and with CBOEO and Kelly to start figuring out what other programs have money for people in their situation to kind of build, like stack them. Because you can't have a duplication of benefits, so you have to, stack them so they're not duplicated. Wow. Lots of work. Thank you for very much. Tour, I wanted to ask how our highway guys are doing, because you know I'm a fan of that gang, our new highway. Well, not so new anymore. He did a great job, as usual, on our on Vine Street, which was damaged. And um, I want to give a shout-out. I think every road's got a uh, – we've got a gentleman on our road uh, who – Whenever there's a problem, he just goes out and fixes it. You know, the tree on the the tree on the road, or or in this case, the washouts. He just fixes it for us. And and uh, but then the the highway guys are just amazing. Are they working 24/7? Probably. Uh, it was close to it, Pat. I I agree. They were uh, tremendous out there, uh, working all day, uh, all night, Monday and Tuesday and working ever since then to, you know, get the roads open and now, uh, you know, work on getting them more passable. Um, we've, you know, we spent a lot of money. We're well over half a million so far we spent on on the roads, uh, getting them opened and drivable at this point with a lot more to come. But uh, another thing that was helpful is that the town hired a public works supervisor at the beginning of the year, Craig Pelletier, uh, we stole him, happily stole him from Barrytown. I'm sorry, Barrytown listeners. Um, but uh, he was primarily going to work on the water and uh, sewer side of things. Um, but he had experience on the roads as well, uh, CDL license, and um, 
Uh, he's been out there uh, almost as a fifth person for our highway crew, uh, helping them out quite a bit, um, especially uh, in addition to doing his own, um, you know, checking the water and wastewater uh, assets as well. So, so it's great that everybody's just working together and jump in to get the job done. Tor, is there still a boil water order out there? Uh, no, there wasn't. Uh, there was a boil order initially after the flood. Uh, I think both, uh, well, you know, Montpelier issued one, which includes right. the, uh, three, you know, part of the 302 corridor, the old right. Berlin Fire District number one, uh, right after the floods. And then this past, uh, late last week, we had a water main break up on uh, Comstock Road, uh, which resulted in uh, low levels in the uh, storage tank which we had to issue a boil order for that. And that one was in effect for about 36 hours. Um, But the test results came back clear on Saturday afternoon, and we were able to lift the boil order then. Well, we've got to close the show out. I can't thank you enough for coming on board. Our town is in good hands. I thank you both. I thank the highway guys. I thank the staff and all of our volunteers. Um, It's my town, and I love it. And um, I really appreciate you all coming on. This is time. This is Tom McDonald, your host for Vermont Viewpoint on WDEV. Stay safe out there.